Hey, um, happy, is it July 4th weekend? Did we consider this July 4th weekend since it's a Tuesday? It is? Do we have big plans? Obviously, those of you who are here don't have weekend plans unless you're from out of town. And so if you're out of town, welcome. Glad to see you here. Fourth of July. Wow. We think about all that represents in our country and you put it up against the backdrop of all that's going on in our country and I have in parentheses right here, try really hard not to make any political jokes. <laughs> so that's my attempt not to do that. And Fourth uh, of July, Fourth of July is one of my favorite holidays, just because of the family that it represents and the food, and, and it's just a, it's a great time. I have some really great memories uh, of the Fourth of July. And when you think about Fourth of July, you can't help but think about liberty, right? And think about about freedom. But I, I was thinking about this week how, um, how interesting it is how we each define or understand freedom differently. And the word uh, freedom, in fact, many times means something different to different people, uh, depending on so many different things. You know, there, there are a lot of times it results in confusion when we start discussing what freedom really looks like, what it leads to. And where it comes from. And I'm pretty convinced um, that our experiences shape our belief in how that looks. Just like in anything. Um, I grew up, my dad is retired uh, first sergeant. So I grew up, you know, my, early on I lived on army bases. And I've always had that piece of, of, of me. And so the way I look at different things when it comes to a lot of political stuff and all that, it's, there's some different tensions and some different experiences that I've had that maybe some of you had, or maybe some of you can relate with that, uh, that when you have conversations about freedom or protecting freedom and things like that, it strikes up different uh, um, uh, emotion. And, and I think that these things are very deeply seated in each one of us and can create even a lot of tension. Um, but you ever notice how, I thought this was, I don't know, if you ever noticed how we can easily agree when we see evil, when we see the face of just something that is obvious that we can all agree is evil, how unified we can become very quickly to fight evil. But when we're fighting in the name of freedom, somehow that creates a lot of tension, especially when we're fighting for freedom for others. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Why is that? Let's just dive right in. I was going to say a few more funny things, and I didn't decide not to. So um, why is it? Why is it that it's easier to fight against evil than it is for freedom? Or that it seems to, to get on the same page, why is it so difficult? Or is it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so think about it. What comes to mind? Yeah. No, you just speak out. Uh, Mm-hmm. And so if it poses a threat, we're going to come together to basically like maintain the status quo versus like, especially if it's the freedom for others, mm-hmm. um, we are not personally threatened, so uh, in, threatened, so it's more difficult to unite because there's no danger. Right. Okay. So um, it's easier to, he said it's essentially easier to rally around something that threatens our status quo than it is to rally around something to help someone else with their, maybe with their status quo or what we perceive to be their status quo or it's our status quo, not theirs. What else? Yeah, 
Yeah. I think I got the bat laugh, last part mostly. But yeah, when we're fighting evil, we think that we're protecting, we're protecting freedom. What other thoughts on the idea of freedom? Why, why are there so many different views on what freedom is and looks like? She said that rel- freedom, what about the idea that freedom is relative in different situations, in different scenarios? Any more, or is that it? So our view of freedom or our view of maybe status quo might be different than someone else's. And so when we try to apply that idea, um, it's not always the same thing. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Freedom has many different faces. Did you want to say something, Trey? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can be complacent when it, when it sit. Maybe when we start counting the cost at times. And freedom is an interesting liberty. Freedom is an interesting um, word. It's an interesting concept. Um, but it's not a. I mean, it's when when we say the word freedom, we talk about freedom around. The Fourth of July, maybe instantly our mind does go to political or, or um, global issues or, or things like that. But freedom is really one of the greatest themes throughout the scriptures. Um, and today we're starting to look into the book. We're going to start a new study of the book of Galatians. And Galatians is one of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, letters that Paul wrote. Um, and I have this thing about Galatians. When I, when I went to uh, college, Oklahoma Baptist University, I went in there as a believer, but I didn't really go in there as a very committed believer who had studied much of the Bible. And I had my first real tough experience with being shamed for not knowing much about the Bible because of Galatians, because on, a, on, a, on, a, on an answer on a test, for, I went to Christian college, and I answer on a test, I, I misspelled Galatians. And the professor literally just berated me in front of the class for not knowing how to spell Galatians. So it's three A's. It's not I-O-N at the end, so in case anybody... So I always remember Galatians. Thank you, Dr. Bob Evans, for that one. Um, um, many believe Galatians to be the first of Paul's letters, but here's, here's really the theme. You go to Galatians 5.1, he wrote, wrote this, it is for freedom's sake that you have been set free. Sounds redundant. But that's how important this theme is. And in the book of Galatians, really he starts addressing people, um, new believers, who were, who were confused at what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to live out this new faith because there were other new believers coming then, teaching them a different way than Paul had taught them. And they were doing so not just by teaching something different. They were, they were trying to discredit Paul as a teacher, as an apostle. And so much so that uh, they were beginning to say that, well, he didn't actually, his teachings didn't come out of actually walking with Christ. He wasn't one of the disciples. He was a generation off, so he doesn't fully know. So they were beginning to discredit him. So he starts this letter very intentionally addressing this 
thing, and, and most specifically in this area, the big thing they were arguing about was whether or not circumcision was required for salvation. That was the big thing that they were wrestling with because it was a part of the law, the old law, the old covenant, and with the new Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers, would God require such a sacramental thing, a ceremonial thing for salvation? And these people were claiming that he did require that on top of believing in Christ. And Paul taught, no, it's in Christ alone. Most specifically, they were doing this, and, and, and Paul taught this simple um, Freedom, And I think this is an interesting letter for this reason. This is one of the first accounts you see in Scripture because many believe it was his first letter he wrote, uh, although it's not in that order in the Bible, that here Paul is addressing other Christ followers, not just those who, uh, not just the Jewish leaders or those who were committed to Judaism or who, had co- who were committed to the law, where he was a, a lot of the teaching and a lot of his direct sermons were addressing straight up the religious of the day and that Paul was coming in and confronting them saying that Jesus is the Messiah, so he's the fulfillment, the one you've been looking for. So this was the battle. It was always between Jesus, those who believed in Jesus, and those who did not believe he was the Messiah. Here we begin to see some confrontation within the church of, of Christ, within the body of believers, of what it meant to be, to be saved. And so we're going really, to read Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 uh, through 10, and then we're just going to come back and we're going to kind of just pick through it. I want to point out three things as we begin the study because it's not over today. We're just going to intro it today and talk about some of this stuff, and then, and then we'll dig in to the book in the, in the coming weeks. But I want to I I focus on three uh, uh, observations today. The first one is Paul's authority. The second one is Paul's theology, and the third is Paul's warning, all right? So let's read the scripture, verse 1 through 10, and then we'll come back to it and see what it has to say to us. Let's pray first. And Father, I, I just ask that you would lead us in this time, that you would help us gain a greater understanding of what our faith means and what it means to be followers of Christ and what you, want, what you desire of us, what you require of us. God, that you would give us this insight, that we would trust in your word, In Jesus' name, amen. So he writes, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly discerning the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
So the very beginning, Paul does an introduction that's, that's pretty common for the way you would write. Um, it's pretty common for how he does it. He reintroduces himself and to whom the letter is written to, and he also mentions the authority in which he speaks from. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. So first thing, Paul's authority. Why is it so important that Paul establishes and reminds them of the authority that he has? Why is this necessary in this letter? Yeah, it was a pretty, his storyline. So if you remember, let's go back who Paul was. Paul was, that was his new name. His old name was Saul, and he was a man of great authority who led other soldiers literally had gone to the high priest, asked for permission to go and persecute believers. This was his job. There are accounts throughout Scripture of him standing by and approving as his men uh, stoned to death believers. Um, and so his story was significant. That not just that he was a man who was under an authority, but he was a man who understood authority and who had it and had walked away from all of it and had a new story and a new authority. And so it was very important, I believe, that he reminded them who he was, what he had gone through, what he experienced, and what God was leading, uh, was doing through him. Um, so there's two things about authority. The, second, the first one, um, obviously, is that Paul's spiritual authority comes from God. He's not claiming that it comes from any man, but he does say that it comes from who else? Remember verse 2? He also says all the brothers and the sisters. And I think it's really important that we recognize, first of all, that Paul's testimony from God is what gives his authority legs. It's his story that he's able to lead out of and live out of that gives him this authority as God gives him that authority. He's not claiming that he deserves it. He's doing the opposite. And he's acknowledging this accountability and this storyline with all the brothers and sisters that were with him that saw what was going on. And I think it's important for us to, to think, think through that a little bit because we are so easily easy to discredit our own stories. We're so easy to discredit what God has done or is doing in our lives because maybe we don't see it as this huge, big transformation thing like Paul experienced, and we think that maybe it's less than. But the truth of the matter is, is all that God is doing in your life and in your mind and your heart, even in the things that are unseen, are significant. And they bring you to a certain understanding and a comprehension of things that others may not have. So in some strange way, our freedom is, is linked also to the authority that God gives us. And our freedom is also linked to somehow our failure. Our failures in which Christ has overcome. Uh, the, 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 the stories in which we, we now 
get to live. And, and that doesn't mean that we have arrived and never sin again or never struggle or but that it's through the experiences of what God is doing in our lives that gives so much authority. And the authority that Paul spoke of was given not by man, but by Christ himself. And his story, this transition, this change, brought him this authority. It was interesting. Any of you guys watch the uh, show Scandal? Did you watch Scandal? Do you, do you just really not watch it, or are you guys embarrassed to say you watched it? Okay. So I watched a lot of it, except for the bad parts. I didn't watch those. Um, something that was really interesting, uh, there was a conversation going on in the Oval Office, and um, it was an argument between uh, Liv and, and um, Fitz, the president. And he, he was, they were basically arguing about the fact that he, had to be, he wanted to be called Mr. President, not, I'm not Fitz in the Oval Office, I'm Mr. President. And initially, you kind of feel like, oh, that kind of feels a little arrogant, um, like, you got to be called Mr. President. But the reason came out, and he explained it. He says, the reason I, w- I have to be called Mr. President in this office is so that I can remember that when I make decisions in this place that are not about me, that are not about me, the man, but I make him as Mr. President, that I make them representing a country, and I, rep- I make them representing a people. This was, this was on TV that this was what he was saying. Um, <laughs> But, I'm, no, I'm just, what I'm saying is, <laughs> that was his authority, but it wasn't for him. It was for the people, right? And it was given to him by something bigger than him. I think Paul is saying here, and it's really, really interesting. We'll see it, un, we'll see it unfold. Is he's saying, guys, I'm not here for me. I, I didn't go on these journeys for me. I'm not writing to you for me. He says, and here's something I also need you to know. I'm not here just to appease your guilty conscience. Because I think that's at the root of a lot of the struggles when we start leaning back into legalism or following the rules for the rule's sake or thinking we gain something. Where Paul was saying, I come here with the authority that Christ gives because he's doing something here. And it's so important that we not mess it up. You think about it, these were the early churches. That's a, it's the foundation of what exists today right? And so first of all, Paul came with this authority that was about something way bigger than himself, but it was also about his story, this strange thing that God can use our story. The second thing, Paul's theology more specifically about his doctrine of salvation. He writes to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I see a couple things going on here regarding what, what Paul is doing with, this, with salvation. And he's laying it out very clearly. He's reminding a, a difference here. He's saying, here's what you are to receive from God our Father. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. It's like this cause and effect. I want you to receive from Jesus because he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from all this present junk that we're we're struggling with and give you peace. See, peace is the result of freedom. What is the difference 
If we're, if we're talking about, he is about to talk about this gospel of Christ in uh, uh, juxtaposed to this false gospel that someone else was talking about. What is the difference between grace and peace and this other thing? It's, you know, it's kind of rhetorical. Because here we get to point out the fruit of where our faith is bringing us towards. Because we could step back and go, I feel anxiety. That's not from God. I feel guilt. I feel condemned. I feel fear. Because of my faith, I feel these things. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The first thing this causes effect to point out about his theology, that grace and peace is the cause and effect. And that second is this idea simply, very simply put, of Christ crucified. He had every opportunity to say whatever he wanted to say at the beginning of this letter. And he's reminding people of this gospel. And he says, it's Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. It's Christ crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul wrote, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That stood in such opposition to the religion of the day that Christ crucified was enough to fulfill all of these other things of the law, all of these going through the motions, all of the things we do to try and earn God's favor, all of these things. His doctrine of salvation was very simple, and it was very concise, and he couldn't be more clear. So it goes on, Paul's warning. If you have your Bible, the subtitle probably says, No Other Gospel. And it's interesting to me because a lot of Christians, a lot of believers use this scripture talking about there's no other gospel or false gospel, things like that. And they always use it. They, oh, I, not always. That's wrong. If, remember, true, false. If you're on a true, false test and someone says always, it's usually, that's usually not true. So I'm not going to say that. It's, it's so often used in the context of someone wanting to push a more legalistic view onto someone saying that anything else is a false gospel. But it's so interesting to me that it, the context in which these words are written is in the context of grace and in the context of freedom and in the context of peace. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Not just to know it, but to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. For the sake of simplicity, let me ask you this question. So what is the God? What does the word gospel mean? Good news, right? So what is the good news about Christ that is, that's news? It's new stuff. What is it? Somebody say it louder than that. That he rose from the dead. And why is that good news? He sets us free from, the, from sin. For the for consequences of sin? What else? Huh? It, it brings a new covenant. The good news is there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant with God. The agreement of how we are set free is in Christ. 
It's not by the letter of the law. Now, Christ certainly said he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And we'll talk about what that looks like throughout this. But for simplicity's sake, what he is coming to, it's the grace of Christ, which is the good news. That he's the Messiah. That when he says it is finished, he didn't just mean he was dying. He meant all that needed to be done was done. This is the good news. So, so what is a different gospel then? How would you describe a different gospel? Right. So what is different than that? Huh? Anything else, right? Earning our way. I think we could all sit here and agree that this is weird when it comes to applying it really into our lives. I mean, I feel guilt. I, I wrestle with different things when I'm off, you know, don't you? And, and I've been in seasons where I've tried to, I feel like something's going wrong. Maybe it's because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? Um, you get in these places where you, you want to make deals with God, right? God, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll do this. Maybe that's just me. Um, all of those come from that place of us trying to, I heard someone describe it as a debtor's, a debtor's grace, that we feel that it's not like we think we're going to earn it, but that somehow now we're indebted, right? That we have to pay something back. Um, have you ever given, tried to do something generous for someone, buy a meal or give them something, they just refuse, they wouldn't let you, and they just... You, ever, you remember how that feels, how that takes away from what you're trying to do? What is a different gospel? You know, you ever wrote, um, I remember when I was writing one time and I wanted to, I tried to find a word, and the only word that would fit was the word onus. You ever use the word onus when you're writing? And um, you know how to spell onus? O-N-U-S, real simple word. But every time I use it, I relook up the definition of it just to make sure I'm not using it in the weird because it just feels strange, strange word. And so, um, and I was thinking about this conversation this morning. And I was just thinking about the idea of where, who, where the onus, the onus is on who. And I think what Paul is trying to say very, very simply is that the true gospel, the onus to save us is on Christ. Anything in which we put that back on our shoulders is a false gospel. Anything where we have to do that in order to please God or to lo- for him to love us more, for him to receive us more, for him to bless us more, that's not biblical. That's our flesh. That's us leaning back into a different covenant. Okay, it goes on. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a false, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Why so serious? I mean, that's a, I mean why, not, why not just, uh, they got the Jesus part right, that's okay. Why is this so important to Paul? And why is this so important to us?
Is it too rhetorical, or is that not a clear question? Hmm. What do you mean? Yeah. Why is that so important to protect? I'm sorry? Dragging everybody down with them. What else? I think yes. Oh, that's good. She said that. I think that's a, kind of like a surrender of acknowledging and letting God be God instead of keep trying to take, take that over. Yeah? Right. Or if it's not enough, right? She said it's important because Christ died for that. I think, I think all of these are right, and I think, I think about it, and I go, whenever we do that, it feels like we lessen the significance of the cross. Like we weaken the message of the cross. Like somehow we're going to pull away from that. Like, like it's possible to even do. And it's funny because when I realize I've done that, I feel guilty, which is like the opposite, right, of what we're supposed to feel and what we're supposed to work, work towards. And I just wonder, in some way, did Paul know this would just be our constant struggle? That our constant battle between flesh and spirit of really trusting in the sacrifices of Christ versus leaning on the flesh and our ability to do what we do. The interesting thing to me is, is, is simply how the struggle remains the same and how the result is one of two things, either a lack of peace in our own lives and a lack of contentment and a lack of and, and fear and all of those things that go, or the opposite, overconfidence resulting in judgment and legalism towards other people. Um, I had an interesting conversation this week on, on Instagram, so I guess it wasn't really a conversation. Um, and I just, I wrote something about if your first response, if someone talks about leading in love or grace, and your first response is, or your first feeling is, yes, but, instead of just yes, then maybe we should check our theology out a little bit. Now, yes and great, but if it's always yes, but, there's something going on there that is just a little off. And I don't know, I've thought about this so much, how many times we could come to a similar truth, but different, come at it different ways. And I don't know if it's a left brain or a right brain, because the truth is, is some people, we think differently, right? Some people need to see certain scriptures line up in a certain way to come to a conclusion. And someone else maybe is more creative or uh, a philosopher or thinking in that way that they come to a, a different conclusion. And I don't know if just thinking about that concept and how, how we struggle with the ideas between um, grace and love and truth and law and all of these things. Maybe it's our experience, how we grew up, the church we grew up, the, the faith of our mom or our dad or whatever it may be. But what I do know is that if it results in bondage, fear, guilt, sh- or shame, or leads to judgment and legalism, then something's off. However we got there, Whatever your love language is between you and God, maybe you pray a lot, maybe you study God's word like crazy, or maybe you, maybe you walk through a, a, a forest or in a field in nature, something hits you. Whatever it is, 
if you're experiencing the opposite of grace and peace, something's off. That's your indicator. And this has always been our temptation to lean into that. Now, there's a difference between conviction, which comes from God, and guilt and fear and bondage, which is not from God. And you know the difference. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say something like they're speaking the word of God to you and you're like, yeah, that's just not resonating with me at all. Like I've never thought that once in my life, but thank you for that. Um, I just believe with all my heart, since the spirit is with us, that I think other people are gonna affirm the conviction that God is already bringing. But God's big enough to show you. God's big enough to speak into your life so that you can hear. But here's what I know. A lot, of, a lot of years of church ministry, and the number one thing I see keeping people from living this full life that Christ promised is this, is this topic. That many of us just secretly wrestle with it, and we cannot let it go. We, we, we know in our, maybe we even know in our brain and we know in our heart, but we can't, we can't fully surrender into knowing that there's nothing you could do to earn it. That there's nothing you could do to lose it. And that that's the kind of, that's the umbrella we live under. It's not the shame that someone else is throwing at you because they disagree with you on this or that or whatever. I looked up, I looked up today, um, where the Bible says that God will never leave you or forsake you. And there's, there's one for every commandment throughout Scripture, that God will never leave you, will never forsake you. I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I, I wrestled with taking this message and, and making it about a bunch of other things that are in this Scripture, <laughs> but they're secondary to the main point. And uh, I just think that we need to rest in this a little bit. I think that whatever you're wrestling with today, I think, that, I think that God would invite you to take the rest of this worship time to just take a breath, whatever you're, you're worried about spiritually right now, to surrender it to him, to just let go of it, to receive his grace, to stop performing, Stop feeling guilt because you don't think you're good enough. None of us are. And to just rest in that. Oh, maybe you're not wrestling and maybe you're sitting here in peace. Keep pressing. Don't let anyone cause confusion to you. Galatians 3 says this. There's more truth. We'll be getting into this throughout the next few weeks. But I just want, I want to leave with this verse Hear this, rest in this. Paul wrote in the same letter, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
nor slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.